This podcast is produced by the Center for Deployment Psychology at the Uniformed Services University of the Health Sciences. The views expressed are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the Uniformed Services University, the Department of Defense, or the U.S. government. In addition, references to any specific companies, products, processes, or services does not necessarily constitute or imply endorsement by the Uniformed Services University, the Department of Defense, or the U.S. government. Welcome to CDP's podcast, Practical for Your Practice. We give you actionable intel to support what you do. One colleague to another. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Practical for Your Practice. I'm Andy Santanello. And I'm Kevin Holloway. So, Kevin, I don't know if you remember the first training that we did. I think it was down in Georgia. Do you remember I that? I think that's right. I do. I remember. Well, at least vaguely. And I'm I'm excited to hear what you're referring to. <laughs> I'm not sure. So many things yeah, that it could there, be. There are some things. There are some things that happen. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I was thinking about our recording for the podcast today. And um, in a minute, you know, when um, we introduce our guest, we have a kind of a fun origin story of how we met. Nice. And it got me thinking about really the first time that you and I sort of were getting to know each other. Mm-hmm. And so the specific memory that came to mind, which I haven't thought about in a long time, is I was teaching the the part of our our workshop on sleep hygiene. Mm-hmm. And, yep. uh, you know, we, one of the, th- <laughs> <laughs> right. So one of the things that, you know, we always talk about is, you know, when you're, I guess this is more stimulus control when, uh, you know, if you're, you basically only want to use your bed for two things, sleep and sex. Mm-hmm. And one of our participants, um, I guess that was a pretty controversial and taboo subject. And so we got a question, we got a question um, and, you know, they, they raised their hand and they asked, so what were the two things, the two things you're supposed to use your bed for sleep and the, and the other thing. Right. <laughs> right? <laughs> it was, it was one of those. Now I'll have to say if, if, if that was you, dear listener, and you were in the audience and you remember saying that, it, it was not that we're making fun of you at, at all, but it was kind of, it was one of those moments where I was like, you know, what, there are different topics that are comfortable or uncomfortable for others. But I do remember following that we were even talking about, um, you know, maybe writing an R and B single with, you know, that in the there re- references, the other thing. And yeah, so it was, it was a moment of, of, I guess, bonding over funny, uh, things that come up in training, but yes. <laughs> well, and I'm glad what you said about sort of, um, you know, different things can come up that are taboo, maybe a little bit sort of unexpected. And our topic today, anger is kind of one of those things. It's, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, you look at a lot of the Roman philosophers, I think Cicero said, there's nothing, I'm going to mess up the quote, but basically like anger is this like disease. And it's like the worst thing that humans can do and we should get rid of it. Um, and so, uh, you know, we're going to talk a bit about anger and some things you can do about it. And so I'm really excited to have Dr. John Donahue with us today um, and to talk to us a little bit about that. Hey, John. Hey, Andy. Hey, Kevin. Hey, thanks welcome. For me. Yeah, thanks for being here. So, um, you know, can you tell us, we're going to talk a little bit um, about a study that we did together but also kind of um, your work with anger. And I'm curious to hear about how you became interested in this topic. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, just a little bit of background. Uh, I am currently an associate professor at the University of Baltimore 
uh, where I, I primarily teach in our master's program in counseling psychology uh, and also conduct research. Uh, I've been there for about eight years. And then uh, I also um, do a clinical work on the side at a, a nearby practice called the Maryland Anxiety Center. And, um, you know, thinking about my work with anger, it, it really goes back to before uh, I went to graduate school uh, to train as a clinical psychologist. And, and um, shortly after graduating college, I started working for the judiciary in New Jersey. Uh, and I worked as a probation officer. And uh, it was a very interesting job. But, but essentially, my job was to um, conduct pre-sentence investigations and, and make sentencing recommendations to judges. Um, so if someone's convicted uh, of a crime, uh, there is a background investigation that's done and a report that's written up that includes all the elements of what they're charged with uh, and also information about themselves. And then you, you, you make sentencing recommendations based on that and the, the judge uses that to guide their decision. So it was a really kind of interesting Super interesting job, but you got a window into people's lives, uh, right? Often at, at what may have been you know the worst moments uh, of their lives as they're about to be sentenced uh, for a crime. You also got a window into you know what the sentences were, and oftentimes when people had an offense that was related to assault or something like that um and the sentence was something like probation they're, they're not going to prison but they're going to be on some sort of supervised release um anger management was was mandated and i didn't know anything about anger management i kind of knew about it in the same way that that you know the general public knows about it that's a thing people do and you get too angry and you lash out uh, it's supposed to help you calm down or build some skills again. I have a, a very superficial understanding. Um, but the thing that always kind of got me was, you know, seeing what folks were charged with, seeing their history, it, it, oftentimes it didn't really seem to involve any anger. Um, and I got curious about how this, this um, consequence was kind of levied out in a very... Um, very kind of loose and heterogeneous way. Uh, so that got me thinking about, you know, okay, people can aggress, people can be, you know, violent towards others. And it's not necessarily related to anger. And then oftentimes it clearly is. And, and I got curious about that. So, um, you know, I was fortunate to, to do some more work related to anger and the treatment of anger in graduate school and then continued that work uh, during postdoc. And, uh, and, and that's where you and I started doing uh, quite a bit of work together. I, I did not know that bit of your history and that really sort of puts the work that you've done and your interest in the topic in a totally different context. So, you know, the, the, the place where we sort of met on your journey was when I think you were uh, at the Philadelphia VA and you were a practicum student, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And I, I think I, I, I sent you an email uh, for some consultations and resources. You did. I remember that. And you were, you're actually, um, working with another CD peer that we, we love and often have on the podcast, Dr. Lefkowitz. And I remember getting that email and you were asking about, um, you know, act for anger. And there was this little protocol that I put together for a residential program. And I think I said to you, don't do it. You <laughs> don't do this. It hasn't been validated yet. Do traditional anger management. That's exactly what you said. 
yeah, so there's uh, something along the lines of we've developed this protocol, but there's really no evidence out there that we can consult to to, to say that it works. Yeah. So then, what happened? So, uh, right, yeah, the natural uh, uh, next question. Um, I took Andy's advice. And I, you know, put together an anger and an, an anger group at the Philadelphia VA, and I used a, a kind of standard cognitive behavioral therapy protocol um, that had been studied quite extensively, and 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 that was the focus uh, at that time during that practicum experience, and um and 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 it was a really wonderful. Uh, experience as far as getting exposed to, you know, what are some of the empirical supported approaches uh, to to working with anger, particularly anger um, in a, a military veteran population. Um, and, and just for our listeners, could you main, mention what are some of the basic tenets of like really kind of standard anger management approaches at the time? Yeah, absolutely. So if, if you think of kind of start with, you know, what anger is, and you can think about anger as really an emotional experience that varies on a continuum with um, you know, mild irritation at the low level on up to something like, you know, rage uh, at, the, at the high level. Um, and from a cognitive behavioral perspective, we tend to think of it as, um, you know, consisting of these three broad elements. So you have the physiological experience of anger. So kind of what's going on in your body. And, you know, anger is a very physical experience with lots of fight or flight activity. Um, not, not all the time, but it can be. Um, the kind of cognitive elements. So what are the thoughts that might be going through your mind uh, that uh, kind of prompt anger or strengthen that experience. Um, and then also your behaviors or your behavioral urges. So how are you responding to it? Um, are you lashing out aggressively? Are you suppressing it? Are you doing something else? Uh, so a, a typical CBT protocol, um, you know, typically employs techniques that can target those three areas, really beginning with psychoeducation around what anger is, um, then moving into some more behavioral techniques that can soothe that physiological activation. So some deep breathing or relaxation techniques. And this is just an example. They're, they're going to vary across protocols. Uh, introduce some cognitive restructuring activities so that we can identify, you know, thoughts that might um, facilitate anger or prompt un unhelpful behaviors, uh, and then evaluate those thoughts, you know, the, and um, um, test their validity, attempt to come up with some alternative thoughts. Uh, and then also behavioral mod modification. So can you, you know, engage in alternate behaviors rather than behaviors that really cause more consequences uh, down the road? And, you know, the, the ACT approach or the psychological flexibility approach is a bit different from that. You know, so as you described it, traditional anger management might focus really on that experience of anger, trying to almost dismantle it. What are the cognitions that are leading to it? How do you sort of calm down the physiological responses and the ideas that that, that is going to lead to less aggressive behaviors? Is that pretty, pretty on target? Yeah. Yeah. I would say it's exactly right. You know, very kind of mechanistic in, in that way. You know, we had a, you and I had a different sort of idea about this, that it wasn't necessarily anger that was the problem. 
It was really the lack of values, consistent behavior that was occurring while somebody was angry. And we thought that maybe there might be a way to sort of shift the perspective and work on that more behavioral component and also one's relationship with anger to maybe have different outcomes. And that's sort of how we, we, we came up with the idea of doing this pilot study. Yeah, that's, that, that, that's absolutely right. Right. So, so I took your advice um, at that time, which, which was excellent advice, uh, by the way, um, but was always interested in kind of continuing with that work and, uh, and studying that protocol that you had developed. Uh, so kind of fast forward to um, after I completed graduate school and, and went on to a, a postdoc at um, the Portland VA Medical Center uh, in Portland, Oregon. Uh, and, and it was a it was a research and clinical uh, postdoc. So, so part of what I was going to do was, uh, was construct a research, uh, project. Um, and I was working primarily in the, the PTSD clinic there, um, for my clinical work. And it just seemed like that was the time, um, to, to really, to really, um, can take the time to study this. Right. So, so at the time, it, 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 when you and I first emailed, um, that, that protocol wasn't really ready on time, right. As my read from you. Um, but this was a nice opportunity for us to evaluate, you know, whether or not it was, or at least get some preliminary, uh, evidence and kind of thinking about that psychological flexibility, uh, model, right. So you think about, okay, what is psychological flexibility, the ability to, um, kind of be open and in contact with our internal experiences, um, you know, as a conscious being in a, in a very present way, um, and then also shift our behavior or persist uh, in, our, in behavior towards towards valued ends. So, so there's a lot of components there, um, but really, you know, I think in contrast to that traditional CBT protocol, um, focusing on you know not just what is the anger experience, but what's your relationship with the anger experience, and then also you know, how do your behaviors line up or, or don't line up with, with what your values are and what's important to you and what you want to move towards uh, in life? That's really fascinating. I think about the kinds of clients I've worked with before that come with a presenting concern of anger or needing anger management skills. And, and it seems like if you distill down to what it is they're asking for, they're asking for some kind of intervention that'll make sure that they never feel angry again. Like that seems to be their, their focus or their, their intent. And, and of course, I mean, I, I don't know that that's possible or even a, an actual good thing for somebody, but and it certainly feels like what you're just describing is, is really more about that recognizing what our relationship is to anger and making value driven choices. I mean, I'm thinking of Russ Harris's choice points and, and things like that. Um, you know, when that anger is there, because it is a valid experience rather than trying to figure out how do we make sure that it doesn't happen or if it does happen, how do we squish it down real quick kind of thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. To totally. Right. You know, we come in and, and it, everything would be better if I just didn't get angry. Right. That's, that's kind of the approach, not, not everything, but, but things would be better. And and, and we're also kind of socialized to, to that perspective. I, I think even if you go back to the term that is so commonly used out there, which is anger management, right? We need, we need to manage that anger. We need to kind of do something to bring it down. Um, 
because if we get angry, something bad happens. You know, I, I tend to think of like, like the incredible Hulk, right. You know, right, don't make right. me angry because then, then, then terrible things uh, happen. Um, and, uh, and I'm sorry, I'm, this kind of goes off on a tangent a bit, but then I go back to, you know, that work I was doing in the judiciary and people are often mandated to anger management. So, so there's a lot of good treatments out there for, for anger. And that, 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 right, that CBT protocol, I think, is an example of an excellent treatment uh, that, that has efficacy for, for anger. Um, but most people that are mandated for anger treatment or anger management are getting something different. And, and, mm-hmm. and it's more class-oriented. It's more giving, giving you some education telling you about some coping skills so that you can squash this anger. Uh, and, and that is by and large untested. And maybe isn't even the, the right thing. I mean, and not, not meant as a slam on our judicial system, but it sounds like really kind of it, it's like, Oh, you, you uh, engaged in some kind of violent crime or another kind of crime. There must be an anger component. And therefore we're going to just, we're going to say you need anger management therapy maybe not even thinking about what that entails or, or even if that's an appropriate part of the experience of the crime that was, they were accused of or whatever that may be. I mean, it could be, like I think you said before, there are some folks that, that anger really wasn't a motivating factor in the crime and yet kind of get shunted into a program that's about anger management or forcing anger away and, and may not even be relevant to their experience. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree with you. And I think at that time, I didn't have words for it yet. But later on, you know, we would come to say, okay, we need to examine the function of the behavior, uh, right, to really understand, um, you know, both what is occasioning it, we know what's triggering it, what are the consequences, and, and, and what is the appropriate approach. And um, you know, maybe anger management might be helpful, but you know, maybe not. It might need something completely different. Um, and that is, you know, one thing that I, I really value within behaviorism and within acceptance and commitment therapy is that emphasis on you know the function of the experience and the function of the behavior. Function of the behavior—that's such a key term. There, can you say just a bit more about what that means if folks are not familiar with that term? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, you know, when I think about the function of the behavior, I, 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 I think about okay, in what way does this behavior serve you? Right? What, what is its purpose? Right? What, what, what's it doing? Um, and if we just kind of think about the the experience of anger, right? Anger anger can serve a lot of different purposes. Um, you know, what some one purpose that we often see, uh, I think, in clinical work is that it can it, it can serve to avoid other uncomfortable experiences. Right? Maybe I feel anxious, or maybe I feel shame. And that's a extremely aversive and B associated with a feeling of, of, of lack of control. And, and if I get angry, you know, now maybe I feel some control, right? It's, it's different. Um, there's other purposes as well, right? It might be associated with, might provide me with a feeling of safety, feeling of protection, um, you know, anger. I, I think it's important to say that, um, you know, 
there's nothing wrong with anger. It's, mm-hmm. it's a really, um, you know, functional, useful, effective emotion. There's reasons why we feel it. Uh, and when we, um, when there's an injustice, when we sense an injustice or are faced with an injustice, anger can motivate us to, to act on that, to, to, to change that. Uh, so, um, ultimately, you know, uh, uh, long story long, right? We always say long story short, usually after we kind of go off on a rant, but long story long, um, what are the kind of environmental circumstances around the behavior and, 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 uh, what is the purpose of the behavior? This is such a critical point. Uh, you know, if you just sort of take it as a rule that anger is bad, and it's avoidance, right? You might then assume that the best thing to do is to like get underneath the anger and find out what, what this is really about. I'm thinking of a client that I've been working with recently who's in a pretty bad situation. And, you know, they were telling me sort of almost apologetically that they were angry about it and they were comfortable with it. And, you know, I was putting myself in their shoes and thinking I would be really angry. And my comment to them was like, maybe you're not angry enough about this, you know? So in, in this situation, the anger might actually help them to feel empowered and to be a bit more assertive. And so th- one of the advantages I think about kind of the model you're talking about is that it lets clinicians, you know, not sort of a priori meet anger that's coming up in the session as something bad that we have to reduce or eliminate, but to be more curious about what is this really about? That's an important insightful point. It it, kind of opens up the whole spectrum of how to approach it rather than forcing only one approach or one direction or approach. Yeah. And, 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 you know, it brings to mind this notion that, that the two can coexist, right? Even and and I can ex- I can experience problem anger, ways in which you know my experience of anger, my behavioral responses to anger are, are causing difficulties in my life, promoting suffering. Um, and yet, I'm, there are also going to be plenty of times where, where I'm angry, and and you know it's justified, right? It's a, it's a signal that something's going on in my environment that needs to be attended uh, to. And and as you said, Andy, you know maybe there are instances in which I'm not angry enough, right? So this, like, again, I mean, not to belabor the point, this kind of perspective that I think we're kind of socialized to, which is we shouldn't shouldn't get mad, we shouldn't get angry, um, uh, can be problematic in, in that way because we might not actually be, you know, fully aware to our environment and the consequences of suppressing that anger. Um, and, you know, from continue in, in harmful situations I'm thinking of maybe a relationship where a person is actively, you know, harmful, uh, uh, to another person, but they kind of suppress the anger, feel like they shouldn't get angry. And then that allows them to, to potentially can persist in that relationship in an unhelpful way. I'm thinking a lot about the uh, veterans and service members that I've had a chance to work with. And I knew you've worked a bunch with them too. And Kevin as well, the sort of attitudes and thoughts about anger can go in all sorts of different directions from really sort of uh, affirmative, positive attitudes about it to almost a fear of even the experience of being angry. You know, I think that like what you were saying about that, uh, 
assumption that societal assumption and socialization into thinking about anger in a specific way. And so, you, you know, when, um, when you're working with somebody in session and you do get a sense that maybe, maybe their attitudes, uh, or the sort of the, the programming they have around the experience of anger is maybe getting in the way of them, of the client really appreciating the function of their anger. What might be a question or something that you might do to help them to be a little bit more curious about that? Yeah, so that's a, that's a great question. I'm kind of you know, trying to put myself in the room uh, right now and think about that. And, and, and I think first, um, you know, I might settle into what the experience is here, right? In, in, in the here and now, you know, what is the person noticing? Because I think when we just sit at that anger level, right, there's lots of ways in which we get kind of fused or entangled with that. But, you know, what exactly is coming up for you? What's in your body? What's going through your mind? What is it that that you want to do? Um, and then also, um, you know, a couple elements exploring, you know, how familiar that feeling is, you know, when it comes up. Um, and then, you know, inviting the person to even consider, you know, times that perhaps that experience has has been useful. Right. And sometimes folks aren't quite, you know, take some time to get to that place. But, you know, can can you consider a time or an instance in 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 which that was really telling you something, telling you something about your world that that, that might have needed to change uh, in some way? That's just an off the cuff response. I'm not mad at that response, Dr. Donahue. <laughs> <laughs> But if you were, we could explore what was around that. Right? I mean, it, it, it occurs to me too. I mean, like, again, I mean, coming back to a lot of our clients have been told and, and, and perhaps believe too, that, you know, that all expressions or experiences of anger are, are bad and need to be avoided. Or as, you know, as we were saying before too, maybe there, there are times they can appreciate that it was you know, good. And I, and I wonder too about, you know, just kind of just those, those, labels of you know the the anger being good or bad sometimes being problematic too like i mean anger is an emotion it's certainly a complex one we, we there are a lot of things involved but i and i i wonder if there's some value in thinking about you know like anger anger is an emotion that is it's not good or bad it it is and it's valid so you know instead of yeah, I mean, and, and this is consistent with what we've been saying, but instead of trying to, to get rid of it, it's really about kind of appreciating what it is. And then, you know, how do you choose what to do with that? Whether that's cognitively or behaviorally or otherwise that, you know, leads you to, to the, or, or is consistent with your values rather than causing your problems down the road. I'm not sure I expressed that well. <laughs> no, no, you, you, you did. And, and, you know, makes me think about when when we did that study. Um, we, yes, anger was one of our outcome variables, but we we really looked at aggression as our primary uh, outcome uh, variable. That's consistent with the psychological flexibility model. Is that you know we 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 may not have a lot of movement in terms of like the frequency of certain emotional experiences. Um, because they just are, they, they're going to, 
they're going to be here, right? And we have a tendency to evaluate them good, bad. Um, but you know, what we really want to focus on in, in that work is kind of distinguishing between the experience of anger and, and acting on the anger, right? What are we doing when it shows up? Yeah. Um, are we, yeah, like are we acting on it in ways that are perpetuating suffering? Are we acting on it in ways that move us towards towards values and meaning? I love that. I think we too often, and I mean we as humans, but even we as clinicians or we as people who are involved in the judicial system or whatever, often conflate anger and aggression in ways that unfortunately, you know, kind of send us down you know, roads that are like, oh, we're gonna mandate anger management because really what we're looking for is reducing aggression, but we're getting those confused. The starting from the place where uh, a, a feature of a fully functioning, normal human nervous system is to be angry sometimes is a different starting place, you know, than I think uh, maybe the perspective of anger management would, you know, sort of come from. Um, so that, that's sort of a bit of a radical shift. And then, you know, the, the goal then being getting better, actually getting better at feeling angry and also, you know, doing what is important to you whilst being angry, considering that we're probably not gonna, we're not gonna stop anger from being a feature of how we feel from time to time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so you guys have mentioned the study a bit here and there, and and we're certainly picking up some pieces, but I wonder if you would tell us a little bit more about the study, what you found. I'm, I'm, I'm curious. I'm, my my research nerdiness is is really kind of blinking here. So, yeah. So, um, uh, so it, it, it was a lot of fun, and uh, that, that that's the first thing. And and also just want to that was our um, main outcome measure. Uh, Did we have fun doing it? And we we're off the chart. Yep. Yep. Perfect. <laughs> right. The the reviewers asked me to remove that from the uh, published results. Uh, and I was a little bit worried. <laughs> um, so so where do I want to start uh, with this? I think first, again, the, the, the researcher side of me wants to say, you know, this was a, this was really a pilot study. We didn't have a control group. It was an open trial, which means everyone who comes in gets the intervention. Uh, and um, while we did measure outcomes related to does this seem to work, um, our, our most um, the most important metrics at, at that point in time were, is this feasible? Um, do participants seem to find it satisfactory to some degree? You know, is this something like proof of concept? Can we implement uh, this? And, and we can you know, look at those um, outcomes related to um, was it effective, but we always have to take it with a grain of salt because we don't have a control group. Um, so, all right, get off my 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 pedestal there. Um, so, you know, I, I reached out to Andy again and said, all right, we're in a different situation now. I think we should do this in a research context. And um, what we did, and I think your protocol at the time was six sessions or so. Yeah, it was six sessions. It was was like a rolling group. It was meant to be like a group therapy. So there was all sorts of reasons that it wasn't going to be a great research protocol. Right. Yeah. So, so we looked to the literature, and there were very few writings on 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 you know, act and and anger at that time. There was a a good um, 
there's a book by John Forsyth and George Efert. Um, I hope I'm pronouncing his last name right. Those act on life, act on uh, act on life, not on anger. I think is what it was called. Um, so we pulled some resources from that and really expanded out your protocol to, to 12 sessions. Um, and you know, I'll, I'll say that um, recruiting participants was not difficult. In fact, most of the clinicians at, at the VA, VA at the time, at that Portland VA, were. Um, uh, at least in conversations, were enthusiastic because you know they, they worked with a lot of clients that were struggling with anger. This was a nice kind of resource that they could um, that they could also engage in, in addition to their their normal course of care. Um, and so we didn't have any diagnostic criteria. You didn't have to have any specific um, diagnosis. There is no anger disorder in the, in the DSM. By the way, that's a whole other maybe podcast episode to talk about. Um, uh, but they did need to report, um, at least to come in for the initial interviews, perceived difficulties with anger and uh, a reported um, uh, instance of aggression. And that could be verbal or or physical. So we we're trying to recruit people who have had experiences where they've acted on that anger in an, in an aggressive way. Um, and we, I want to say we brought in about, 27 or so people, fairly little attrition. I think we had 22, 23 completers. Um, sorry, it's a few years ago, so we're getting some of the details. Uh, but they, then they went through the groups. And uh, the groups were conducted by um, a small pilot study. They were conducted by myself and um, and my colleague, Mary Marsiglio. She was a postdoc at the time. Uh, she's also a clinical psychologist. Uh, and... The outcome measures that we employed were anger. Uh, so we used the dimensions of anger reactivity. Um, also a, a, a one item um, uh, temper scale. In addition to that, we used um, measures of aggression, one validated measure, the aggression questionnaire, and then also um, self-reports of um, kind of like a daily, like a, a self-monitoring of uh, perceived aggressive experiences. Uh, we also had a measure of uh, experiential avoidance, uh, AAQ, and or the AAQ two, and a measure of quality of life. We used the quality of life uh, inventory. Um, so then we measure people at at, at um, baseline. Don't think we did a mid, no, I don't think we did a mid treatment measure. That was a miss. I wish we did that. And then follow up. And then we did a three month follow up uh, after that. And we found that uh, self reported aggressive behavior uh, reduced. Um, there was, um, it was kind of a moderate effect size. Uh, there were uh, uh, large effects on experiential avoidance. So experiential um, avoidance or psychological flexibility, people say the AAQ measures different things. So um, experiential avoidance or psychological flexibility uh, went down uh, at post-treatment and, and it continued to go down at follow-up. And that, that was particularly interesting. That, that was a large effect. Uh, there was no effect on anger itself. So Fascinating. Our anger group... <laughs> was unsuccessful <laughs> in modifying the, the experience of terrible, of terrible anger. reducing anger. <laughs> yes. 
However, in line with what, what we've been talking about, yeah. um, that's not necessarily a problem when you're when you are seeing self-reported aggressive behavior going down and experiential avoidance going down. Uh, so uh, and, you know, follow up interviews, we did uh, had, had a qualitative element to that. Um, uh, kind of reflected that in some of the statements that people made, but you know, overall it was feasible. We were able to implement it. Participants, um, um, you know, r- routinely rated it quite quite high in terms of their satisfaction, uh, and we had some interesting findings in terms of you know anger versus aggression versus experiential avoidance. Um, no, no changes in quality of life, um, but uh, there's also all sorts of subscales we could have dug into that we didn't, but. Mm-hmm. That is fascinating. And, and I mean, as, as much as it's almost a little funny to say that the anger management group didn't reduce anger, that's really consistent with, like you said, that's consistent with what we've been talking about. Like you wouldn't necessarily expect the experience of anger to reduce because it, it just is, it's those, the problematic things that come from that, the aggressiveness and, and other things. So I mean, I, that's really fascinating to me that the lack of change in anger and in some ways actually supports the, the way to think about it, the, the construct there. Yeah, same. I, I, I had the 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 exact same reaction, you know. And and, and there's often in, in psychology research, you're kind of striving for statistical significance, and there's a bias towards statistically significant results in the in the literature as a result. But um, here, um, you know, having that 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 lack of change was, as you said, very theoretically consistent. Um, and where we did see change was where we really wanted to see change, yeah. which was in, in self-reported aggression and experiential uh, avoidance. So we haven't replicated this study, but I'm happy to say that there's um, a fair amount of ACT researchers out there. And, and one that comes to mind, um, who's doing really, really awesome work is Amy Zarling. Uh, and Amy is doing work with, um, with uh essentially um domestic violence offenders yeah yeah really really fascinating work um which really is comparing the the Luth model which is more of the traditional cbt for anger model with sort of the act model um and uh some of that research is is really interesting um so although there hasn't been a direct replication of the study uh there are sort of fellow travelers out there who are trying to look at anger through the lens of psychological flexibility and aggression through the lens of psychological flexibility um, and uh, helping, you know, folks who have gotten to a situation where they've made some really poor choices, uh, reclaim their values and, and maybe um, start to lead a lifestyle that's more aligned with how they actually want to be. Well, John, thank you so much for being here. This is a fascinating topic. And I mean, certainly we could talk for hours more about this. Um, and, you know, just as we always do in this podcast, this is practical for your practice. We like to leave with some actionable intel, basically some some tips for our listeners. Like what are things they can take away from this episode and implement currently things they can do right now to maybe uh, respond to or, or, or um, meet their client, in, you know, in a place where anger or anger management, anger expression, aggression is, is part of that presentation. What are some things that our listeners can, can do to uh, improve how they, they interact with a client like that? Yeah, great. I, um, uh, again, I'm able to try to 
try to contain myself because I, I feel like there's so much more to talk about. But um, again, um, I think going back to function, right? I, I, I think when a person is struggling with anger, um, it can feel very intense and it can feel very fast, even when you're in the room uh, or particularly when you're in the room. Uh, with that person, and and we may really want to jump into some techniques or coping skills that 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 can maybe help alleviate that experience. Um, and in contrast, we could take time to explore the experience more, kind of lean into it, really try to understand it. Right, having the person kind of track their anger experience, understand the context in which it shows up versus when it doesn't, um, and and really taking the time that we should to examine the 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 function of of the anger experience or or the aggressive uh, behavior, uh, so that we're in a good position to to respond effectively rather than kind of um, toss coping skills. Not saying that we're out there tossing coping coping skills at people. Kind of I really love that. Like. <laughs> well, I really love that because I think sometimes, you know, we as clinicians respond in ways to try to, to minimize or reduce our own discomfort with what's going on in the room. Right. And so yeah. certainly that's yeah. one of those times where our clients are expressing anger or, or talking about anger that I, I know I've felt a pull to jump in and try to resolve that. Let's, let's fix it. Cause this makes me uncomfortable, but maybe mm -hmm. kind of giving ourselves permission to, to sit there in the discomfort and explore that with our clients, more modeling that perhaps for them a little bit. I, I really do love that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and just a really, uh, uh, so well said, right. And kind of a fundamental component of, of, you know, more acceptance and mindfulness based approaches, um, which is, you know, we have to kind of come to terms with our own discomfort and our own tendencies to maybe avoid um, or or do something that that might seem helpful in the moment, but but really it's in the service of kind of feeling better um, or avoiding some experience that's difficult there. So so talked about function. I guess another element um, of that would be um, values. Right. So values is such a critical uh, com component of this. Um, and I think values plays a role in a lot of different ways. So so first thing is uh, considering the route with with which someone came to you. Right. Sometimes when it's anger, um, it it not to say it's always mandated, but it might be mandated in some other way. Right. Someone else is telling you you need to do this or um, this. And this needs to happen if you continue working or whomever, right? There are different ways that something can be kind of quote unquote mandated. Mm -hmm. um, so where a person kind of comes in and their perspective towards it um, really, really matters. Uh, and and that's an area where I think values is, is particularly important in, in introducing it early. Um, again, not to say that this has to happen, but I think it can be useful in, in getting that buy-in. Um, you know, I, I I remember way back in graduate school, um, working with a client, as you sometimes do in graduate school. At the end, you say, you, you talk to them about, okay, what which find helpful, which find not so helpful, and kind of want to take some take so that you could take something else out of that experience. Um, and I remember that client say, I've been to a lot of anger management programs, but then we came in here and, and you started talking about values, <laughs> and I thought, well, this is different. Um, 
but it, it can really serve as a great hook. Um, and, and then think about that in terms of uh, when you're considering those alternative behaviors uh, uh, and, and really couching those alternative behaviors um, in the context uh, of values. Um, uh, that might have been a little jargony, but uh, let me know if there are any questions. <laughs> we have, we have a well-informed listening audience, I think. So. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for being yeah, on Practical you. for Your Practice, John. Um, it was really, really good to get to connect with you again and revisit some old memories. And I, I sincerely appreciate you uh, giving our listeners maybe some different perspectives that they might be able to bring into the room when they are face to face with somebody who is, you know, in a place where they're really angry. So thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks so much for inviting me. I, I, this, was, uh, this was really great. I enjoyed myself. Yeah, thank you for coming. And as we know, enjoyment and fun is the most important outcome measure. <laughs> exactly. Just keeping with the theme. Um, and <laughs> alongside of that, uh, I'm, I'm hoping this was useful. All right. Well, thanks so much. Absolutely was useful. I'm going to reassure you there. It was certainly useful. Um, and uh, thanks for being with us, everybody. I'm practical for your practice. And we will look forward to chatting with you next time. Thanks for listening to Practical for Your Practice. Please feel free to subscribe, rate, and join in on the conversation in the comments. Until next time.